Okay. So it'll okay. be, it'll be a little funny. Okay. So, um, all of my shows start out with this, what we're doing now. So it's like, you have, have you ever heard of an outtake? It's sort of like this candid moment <laughs> that's not supposed to be on the show. We're, sure. we're recording one right now. <laughs> okay. So it's me telling you what we're going to do next. Um, okay. So all of my shows, they start out with one of these and then, and then people get confused and, and irritated and say, well, what the hell is that? You should take that out. That's stupid. And then I say, yeah, it happens every show. It's funny. And, and you'll like it when you're done. And you know, they may or may not agree with me. But so what'll happen is you'll hear one of these and it's me telling you, I want you to do this thing where you're going to do a promo for you and a promo for me. So you say something like, Hey, this is Joseph Hogue from let's talk money on YouTube. And you are listening to Jeff Smith on Vroom Vroom Veer. See, so I've just done it. That's the promo. That's all I want people to hear, (laughs) but I want you to say it because it's, you know, because then it's like a rock and roll DJ thing. Excellent. <laughs> well, I'm I'm thinking you just did it, so why don't we just move on? But uh, you but can let's do, go ahead if you want. If you want to skip it, that's fine by me. No, that's no. <laughs> let's, let's go ahead. Let's do it. Okay. Whenever you're ready. Okay. <laughs> hey, Joseph Hogue here from the Let's Talk Money YouTube channel. Okay, we got to start that over. That's that's <laughs> why it's outtakey, you see? That's why it's outtake. <laughs> I went in my cuz I mean I say that in, you know, the first part of almost all my videos, so I sure. just kind of flashback to all my videos there. Uh, which so is fun. Jeff So Jeff Vroom Vroom Veer podcast? Yeah, you can just say uh, and you are listening to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. See, I just said yeah. it again. See? And I, I'm still undecided whether that's a a real name or a pseudonym or what. I mean, you know, Jeff, Jeff. It's, it's like your real name is Ted Kaczynski and you're just, uh, you know, trying to be a little bit more PR on it. I don't know. Yeah, it but, could be. You know, it's, I guess. it's, it's okay. all part of the mystery. <laughs> all right. Let's try this again. Hey, this is Joe Hogue with the Let's Talk Money YouTube channel. You're on Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith. Rock on. Well done. I, I think this has been, I say, I have to start slow and just... We'll do it all like what we just did. If I do that every time, I'm not going to get angry emails. <laughs> you understand what's going to happen now on your show. So on your show, it's going to be somebody else doing a similar thing. Okay. And then you'll hear an intro and then your show will start. Does that make sense? No sense at all, but I'm, I'm ready to get started. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Thank you. All right. I'm going to hit stop and then we'll start the show. Okay. All right. Perfect. Are you ready to thoughtfully steer away from your revved up, frenzied, and far too often scripted life? Then welcome to Vroom Vroom Veer with Jeff Smith, where he guides you down the road differently traveled by sharing unique experiences with guests who have managed to shift away from a life stuck on cruise control and veered their way into a more authentic and fulfilling one in all sorts of interesting and kind of remarkable ways. Get ready to Vroom Vroom Veer with your differently traveled road chauffeur, Jeff Smith. Dane Marcus Ringler. Thank you so much for being on Vroom Vroom Veer and welcome to the show. How's it going? 
It's going well. Thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm curious. Uh, have you? You've obviously gotten pretty good at saying "vroom vroom" beards. It's kind of a hard practice. thing to say. It takes practice. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, I, I, for whatever reason, I picked it up rather quickly. I guess because I was saying it all the time. But yeah, you're right. It's a tongue twister, and everybody screws it up. And I kind of like that. <laughs> yeah, no, it makes for an exciting, you know, intro. Do you, what's the craziest thing you've gotten? Oh, you know, the most common is vroom vroom vrier so people ah. it's 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 vr 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 um and i always just leave those in because it's awesome <laughs> i love it <laughs> so good because you know hey it's just part of being human and it's okay you know yes. there you life <laughs> thank you okay so before we get too deep into hanging out and having a good time uh it's time for some shameless self-promotion. Uh, mm. so you are at thanemarcus.com. So, and you are a speaker and a coach and you got lots of things going on. So talk a little bit about what you're most excited about in your business today there in LA. Yes, I am. Thanks for that. I am very excited about it. I'm doing collaboration work, which is a combination of coaching, consulting, and creating with people. Cool. It's basically taking the professional athlete's mindset into everyday people and everyday life. And that's been really my favorite thing to do. Uh, but my new book is coming out uh, this month called From Here to There, A Quarter Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. And that's really been a couple year project in the making that I'm I'm so excited about and can't wait to share with everyone. So definitely head over to ThaneMarcus.com to check out all the info for all those things, including um, the speaking schedule that I've been working on building out. So a lot of fun stuff. Very excited about the path ahead and, and what's in store. Awesome. And I love your site. Very clean. You know, I had to do a little Thank cyber you. stalking. Yes. Well yeah. done. Whoever's doing your design, really well done. Yes, okay. So now, vroom, vroom, veer time. I'm going to tease out some stuff. So later on, we're going to talk about, let's see here. We're going to talk about some of your favorite Bible passages. Yeah. Yeah. And then how that um, sort of like fed into your sort of like catchphrase for your business, connecting, collaborating, and inspiring. But first, we have to play the Vroom Vroom Veer game and basically make the topic of the show you and the pulp fiction version of your life, which means we're, we don't necessarily have to be chronological. We can jump around a lot. So you oh. grew up in a place in Kansas, and I want to say it right, Hutchinson? Hutchinson, yeah. Hutchinson. Okay, sweet. So talk a little bit about what it was like growing up in Kansas. Hutchinson is the home of the Salt Hawks. That was the high school mascot. I think we're the only Salt, Salt Hawks. Hawks. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I've got the, a good the, one too, but go what ahead. What was yours? Mine was the Menominee Maroons. Mmm. Right. Nice. Uh, it's got some <laughs> nice, The it flows well. That flows really well. Okay. Um, yeah, the uh, Hutchinson was a great town, man. A great city to grow up in. About forty-five thousand people. Um, okay. Awesome people. A slower pace of life. Very, you know, simple. It's in the in the center of the country, the right. heartland of America. Right, right. And almost I was really dead blessed. center. Yeah, it really is. You know, and and now we know that's where Superman grew up. Grew up too. So right. that's, You know, important. Yes, um, so. and he's a good guy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a good dude. So <laughs> good, good um, family values. Yeah, yeah, really strong, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was. It, I loved it. I, I grew up about a mile away from one of the best golf courses um, in the country, oh, wow. actually. Prairie okay. Dunes Country Club, shout out to them. It's an amazing place. It really is 
a little piece of paradise in the middle of America. And uh, so that was a sweet blessing. And I really, um, yeah, had a pretty normal, simple childhood. Um, and I think the beauty of growing up in a place like Kansas is that when you have less things to do um, in the city or in the town or just wherever you live, you are forced to get more creative. And so you come up with more games and more fun things to do uh. with friends. And I think it's a really important part about being a child and developing as a kid. And um, I was really grateful for that. So did you like run around outside a lot when you were a kid? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything and anything you do, you were doing it. I mean, I still played video games, too, but it wasn't. Yeah, that was only a small part, you know. And so it was um, it was yeah, it was an amazing childhood. I had some great friends who are still, you know, lifelong friends, even though we live in different places in the world now. Um, So uh, incredibly, incredibly thankful for growing up where I did. Awesome. Yeah, I grew up in rural, even smaller town, Michigan. Mm-mm. So I think, you know, I, you know, I, I wouldn't call Kansas necessarily Midwest, but I mean, it's still culturally similar, I think. It is. Oh, it yeah. is the Midwest. No, okay. it's totally. Yeah, it's we we consider ourselves Midwest. Okay. The when you get down to Texas, they start considering themselves the South. Actually, right, Arkansas right. does too. Like yeah. half the state in Arkansas is like Midwest and half is no, we're South. So it's kind of yeah. funny. No, Indiana's a lot like that. Like mm. Southern Indiana feels southern to me wow that's funny i yeah i don't know i because i i had some two sets of friends so like a a friend of mine had relatives from southern indiana Mm. and they they sounded southern (laughs) okay and then i had another friend who was from northern indiana and he sounded midwestern so you know, you kind of, yeah, I think Kansas is one of those, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Cause I, I, I don't know if I've ever been to Kansas. <laughs> I wow. don't know. It's such a destination. I'm surprised. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, okay. Um, I've been through Missouri, St. Louis and that's really close, but not, not there. Okay. Right, yeah. right, right. So I'm not sure. Mm. I have to we'll think put about it on it. the bucket list. You yeah, know? there you that's go. Right. Yes. And I bet you there's still good barbecue in Kansas. Uh, some of the best. <laughs> yes. There's a place. Shout out to Roy's. There's a place in Hutchison called Roy's mm, that is a wow. hole in the wall. You know, they only have that's a certain amount of meat every day. Once right, they right. run out, they're out, you know, and but it's there's like always the a line. Best. Yeah, at, right. Oh, there's always a line when it comes to lunchtime. So when, when you get barbecue, I'm, uh, you pretty much want a hole in the wall. That's going to yes. be your best barbecue. It should be yeah. coming from something dirty that looks like a pit. <laughs> now, you, you're obviously a big barbecue aficionado, as you mentioned beforehand. When did you get into kind of the smoked meat side of life? I had a, a, a boss in uh, the Air Force, and he was very much into, I don't remember, he was from somewhere in the South. I can't remember where. But he he grew up in a barbecue tradition kind of uh, family, and so he was upgrading his smoker, and mm. he gave me his. <laughs> wow! And then he taught me how to do the smoking. Right. That's so, amazing. Yeah. Uh, so I really did get into it, and uh, now I have since sort of like gotten out of it, but. I still do it occasionally, but it, it, that's sort of like a, a repeating trend with me is like I'm, <laughs> I'm all in on a thing until I'm done and then it's over. And, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. Until that veer comes, right? <laughs> until that veer comes. Exactly. And for me, I, I, it's never like a lifelong pursuit. It's sort of like, a, okay, I'll do this until it's not fun anymore. So that's, that's kind of like, I still do enjoy doing it. It's just, uh, I don't want to keep all that stuff around the house anymore. So when I do yeah. do it, like, um, uh, I'll go home to visit my parents in Michigan and they more or less have all this stuff already. Right. So totally. I don't, right. So I just use their stuff. And the only thing is, is the difference is, is when I want to get wood chips, I go to the store and buy them in a bag and my dad cuts down a cherry tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is the definite difference. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, he doesn't wow. actually cut down a whole tree. He'll just, just like chainsaw some branches and then that's Watch. the wood. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah. It's, right. it's fun. I mean, that's the beauty of life. It's such a blessing to be able to have the freedom and opportunity to pursue these really cool things and become skilled or crafted in them and learn and, and, and kind of experience it and have those skills and then do that in another area. I mean, that's such a sweet right. blessing. Yes. And they all do. They, they complement each other. Learning anything will help you learn something else. So. It's true. It's true. We'll talk more about that later. Have you ever heard of this guy named uh, Joss Watkins? No. Wait, Waitskins. Okay. Oh, so, Josh Waitskin. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes. So you know who I'm talking about. Yeah. Yes. He was like, like I listened to his audio book, and I think it was called The Art of Learning. Yep. So he was a big proponent of that. Everything you learn, you learn every time you learn something new, you're not only learning that, but you're increasing your transferable learning skills. Yes. Right. So good. <laughs> yeah. There's a book, there's a book called Make It Stick. Okay. By I think Peter Brown and a couple other people, really good on okay. learning as well. Probably right. I haven't actually read all of Josh Waitzkin's book, but right. this one was the best book I've I've read on learning. Make and it it's stick. the same. Yeah, yeah, make it stick. Peter I'll Brown, check it out. super good. Yeah, yeah. No, I love that because you know I I love just learning. You know, mm -hmm. you know I'll like learn something just because you know. Usually it has some sort of practical value, but a lot of times it does. You know, it's just like I'm bored. Oh, hey, I've always wanted to mess around with this. You know. So, yeah, yeah, and that and that's the thing. Like the practical value helps us have the motivation and incentives to learn it. Right. But if you don't necessarily need that, then you don't have to have it, right? It's just learning. And right. There's, there's right. Intrinsic benefit from learning itself, and once Amen. we understand that, it doesn't really matter what it is at that that's point. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Okay, so all right, so now you're growing up in Hutchinson. So how do you get into golf as a kid? Mm, good question. I mean, it was so young that I don't necessarily remember exactly how, but when I was three <laughs> or four, my wow. dad, you know, got me in the backyard swinging a club. And okay. I, I just loved being active. I love sports. I love competing. So if it was anything related to sports and competing and being outside or active, I loved it. And so my dad was an athlete. He played tennis and he played basketball in college. And then he okay. also was a good golfer. And so being a, you know, a mile away from a great golf course and it being a lifelong sport and better on your body than some of the other ones, gotcha. he, you know, probably funneled me there, but they let me, you know, play whatever I wanted to. It's just, I think golf was a natural fit for me just even from the beginning. So, okay. So like age three or four, you start. So then yep. you're, when did you start doing like organized sort of golfing, um, yeah. involvement? Yeah. 
Yeah, they, they had a great junior golf program in Kansas, the KJGA, Kansas Junior Golf Association. Wow. Amazing people, um, great group of you know people helping out with that and, and tournaments all throughout the summer. So I started playing that when I was, gosh, probably seven or eight years old. Wow. Um, Oh eating in that. Um, and, and it was super fun. I mean, there's a, there's another guy who lived about 30 minutes away in a smaller town named Michael Gellerman. Shout out to Michael. And he's still playing today. He's on the web.com tour, but we had this great, uh, rivalry and we, you know, we were the, the clear, uh, two best players growing up. And so we kind of always faced off in these little junior tournaments and it was just super fun. Um, <laughs> so we had a blast. Now, did you, did you take it too seriously or were you, were your parents good about like having you sort of like have a, have a, like a, a little like insight into don't take it too seriously. Don't Right. Or were you taking it too seriously? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, my, my tendency is to take things really seriously myself, but uh, they, they were great. I mean, that's the benefit I think of living and growing up in Kansas is that one, you have the natural limitation of only being able to play eight to 10 months out of the year because two to four months are just too cold, snowy, right. and just okay. not, you're not able to golf. And so that really gave me the space to play other sports and do other things and take breaks every year Good. so that I wouldn't get burned out. And that was super important because otherwise I, I would have gotten burned out, honestly. I don't, I wouldn't have wanted to do it all year round like you can here in California. Um, right. So, and they, you know, they, they weren't like the the, the helicopter parents who okay. make sure that you're doing you know everything to the nth degree so that they can you can become their their child <laughs> prodigy <laughs> of professional athlete you yeah, know so buy you buy them a house yeah right, right no, they okay. were they were amazing parents and really supportive um, and encouraging all that I I pursued um, which was really such a blessing I mean I I can't thank them enough for how they raised me and um, their support and influence so. Awesome. So, okay. So you, you're playing golf through high school, right? And then you, I, I take it you're playing golf through college. Yeah. So I ended up after high school, ended up going to California to play at the master's university out here, just North of Los Angeles. It's a Christian school out here and played four years, competed there for four years and then graduated and turned professional then. Wow. So was that sort of like a, a, a golf kind of orientated college program? Was that? Yeah, that's what a lot of people ask. Because it's got the word masters in it. I know, <laughs> people usually either ask, is it associated with the masters tournament? Or other people say, oh, what did you get your master's degree in? <laughs> right, <laughs> right, right, right. Are wrong. right. Yeah, okay, but, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, no, it's great. Um, but yeah, it's a Christian school. So it's kind of based off of like the master in a sense and a play on words there. Um, so I went there because I liked I, I liked what they stood for and what they believed in, and, and I really enjoyed the coach and the team. And plus, being in California, you get to play year round, and right. it put me in a different pool of competitors. So it was a it was a good fit um, in a lot of ways, and I was excited for that. But um, yeah, so it was a it was just a it's a liberal arts um, school. Okay, uh, so gotcha. Studying accounting and finance there, and then every student that goes there gets a minor in Bible as well. Okay, okay, but they also had like some collegiate golfing program that you were able yeah, to compete yeah, in. Yeah, they're the NAIA division, which is independent. It's not a part of the NCAA. And so as oh, a result, wow. okay. uh, there's a there's a lot of colleges that have been recently transitioning to 
NCAA, which is a bummer for NAIA because you lose some of the best colleges then, mm. at least competition-wise. But right. the competition was still at the top tier is very comparable um, because a lot of the recruiting restrictions are actually much lower in NAIA. So there's a lot of international players that are really good that come to these NAIA schools because um, the recruiting is a little bit easier to maneuver. So Okay. So then as you're, I suppose you're making a name for yourself at the college level, then when you want to go pro, it's a little bit easier maybe to get sponsorship to do that. Is that how that works? I don't even know how it works. Yeah. So golf is unique in that it's an open platform. So, um, you know, other sports like baseball or football or basketball, there's these big teams, right? That You've got are, a billionaire there somewhere. Yeah, yeah. It's a corporation that basically determines in a large degree who's successful and who's not. They have control. Right. They have ownership over that. Who's going to get there? The gatekeeper. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. In golf, it's open platform. So if you have enough time and money, anyone can try to play professionally okay. um, and turn professional. So that's the cool thing. And and it's also cool that you know your success falls squarely on your own shoulders, which right. is a blessing and a curse in some ways, sure. right? Because there's sure. no one else to blame. Right. But it's also, you know, you have full control of that. So it's a really empowering and challenging thing. So right, right. It's, a, it's a cool thing. Uh, it's a cool platform in that sense. So what's it like? What is the what is your life like uh, being a pro golfer? Are you is it like a real hectic travel schedule? Yeah. So usually the, it is very, it's, it's a very crazy life. So yeah, typically, I can imagine. <laughs> yeah, typically, um, and it depends on what tier you're at. There's typically three tiers. The top tier is a PGA tour. That's the best tour in the world. And everyone's right. trying to get there. Um, okay. and usually it takes an average of seven to 10 years for guys wow. to actually get there. Okay. So the majority of people you see on the tour have been grinding for seven to 10 years in order to get there on average. On the lower tiers kind of yes. grinding? Okay. Yep. So the second tier is a feeder tier, which is kind of like AAA baseball. It's the web.com tour owned okay. by the PGA. And that's how you get into the, that's the front door entrance into the PGA. Um, and to get to the web.com tour, you have to go through the lower tier, which is the feeder tours, which are developmental tours. There's some that are owned by the PGA and there's some that are independent, Okay, but they're all kind of glorified money matches. So you have, right. <laughs> uh, you have much less sponsorship and you supply more of the, the pot from your entry fees. So they're a lot more expensive and a lot less money that you get for them. And so you're paying um, that you have to come up with some sort of way to pay those entry fees just to plug. Oh, yeah. Oh, yep. Right. Okay. Yeah, it's, and it's usually at least a thousand a pop. So wow, thousand to twelve hundred per tournament, um, and only you know the top fifteen to twenty really make their money back plus a little bit extra. And if you win, obviously if you win, you can earn some good money. But <laughs> one out of one hundred and forty players wins. So right. Wow. Are not, you know, it's very it's very brutal. It's a very difficult, challenging, tough life. And, um, and you are on the road a lot. You're, you're trying to get by with as little expenses as possible so right. that you can play in as many tournaments as possible. And usually you're driving and all over the country to play in these tournaments. And then you're also competing under enormous pressure, right? Not right, only right. about trying to get to the next tier, but also with the people who are usually typically of investors. And so they're supplying the funds to support you to, to pursue this so that you can have the time and space to compete at your highest ability. 
And so you've got not only the pressure of your own success, but then also these other people committing money and funds for you to do it that combines into a really interesting pressure cooker. For, <laughs> I can imagine. Uh, wow. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So what? how far did you get? Did you get uh, to the second tier or the third tier? How- I got to a portion of the second tier. So okay. I ended up getting status on the One Asia Tour, which is a, a kind of a mid uh, tier tour. Uh, got to play five events on there in 2015. And then in 2016, when I started to get some momentum going, I, I faced a systemic injury that repeated over about a year and a half's worth time, five different cycles. And that just killed all momentum and made it virtually impossible to keep playing. And so that was a really difficult time because even looking back now, the competitor in me is, it, if I feel like I didn't give myself a chance to be successful because of that. But at the end of the day, it was God's plan and it was um, a part of my journey. And I learned so much through facing that obstacle of the injury that I'm really right. grateful for that. Um, and it's brought me to where I am today. So it's it's a, it's a neat to see how it all works together, but it was extremely challenging in the moment. I can imagine. Yeah, it's just, it's it's more like... Was it fe- feeling like uh, like a heartbreak because this was my plan kind of thing? And, yeah. And now it's not working out, and who am I going to be when if I'm not a golfer kind of idea? Totally, yeah. I mean, right. so, so much of all that we do, right, is tied to our identity. Correct. And we, we associate what we do with who we are, right. and really they're different things. And, Correct, totally different and things. Yeah. So identity is huge. That's a big part of it. And, when, you know, and also it's a sunk cost fallacy, like – the amount of years, time, energy, and money invested into this pursuit was like, it's it life like filling, a, right? It, it was felt my like whole a mountain, life. right? Yes. Yeah. And so yes. I worked my whole life towards this goal. And to end it, to end that pursuit as a failure was, it's crushing, right? You're like, wow, mm. I, I, I can't even imagine. Um, and, and for me, like the only way that I was able to thrive through this transition was is a testimony to my faith in God. Like that gave right. me the purpose and ability to not have my identity tied to golf, but tied to him ultimately at my core and foundation on just being created as a human being, not as a professional golfer. And so right. that was such a blessing in that time because it is, you know, I worked incredibly hard my whole life to do that. Um, and it, it, nothing is, no failure is ever fun to live through. That's no, just a reality. That's true. Yeah, you're right. But I think the important thing is, is always remember, um, you, there's always that silver lining that you have to find, you know? And I'm sure you did. You found that because here you are. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah, of course it's, they're brutal. I mean, it's like Job. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's right. very true. That's yeah, why that think, book is there, I think, you know? It's yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, you can't imagine a, a worse situation than Job's. Yeah, that's like taking the example to the extreme. Exactly, so, right. Yeah. Or, you know, you know, it, it would really suck to get crucified, but at least it was yeah. brief. You know, Job yeah. had it really long. <laughs> yeah. He really went through it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think uh, even looking back on a practical sense at it, I think the thing that we all um, fear in failure is the dead end aspect of it. We think that failure is a complete dead end. And it's that's only a half truth, to be honest, because a failure 
is a dead end, but that doesn't mean you have to go all the way back to the start to begin again. You can take a few steps back and then pivot into something else that this pursuit into whatever journey it is has equipped you and prepared you for the other things so much better than not to begin in the first place. Right. Right. And, and I think that that's something that's really hard to believe. Um, and it keeps us from being committed to something fully. And it was true for me in golf. Even it was hard for me to initially commit fully to professional golf without any contingency plans, because what if I fail, you know, like what right, if and right. the chances are I'm going to fail. So yeah, how do I'm I likely to fail. Right. Yes. Yeah. And how do I, how do <laughs> wow. I commit uh, like with no contingency plans? That was what my actual college coach really emphasized a lot. And it was hard for me that first year to really believe and, and do that. And then after about a year of playing professionally, it was like, no, you're right. Like I, if I'm not 100% committed to this, that leaves room for doubt to creep in. Yep. And when doubt creeps in, your performance is limited and you're operating off of fear versus confidence. So. Right. And your, your faith is shaken in, in, yep. in your own ability. Yep. And that's always a real weak position, you know, internally, you know, it's, yeah. it's that what you say that doubt creeping in, it just sort of like takes over. And, and especially when you're in a, a brutal scenario like that, where it's like, you're not, it's, it's never that idyllic sort of like, Oh, I've slept three days. Wonderfully. My diet's <laughs> perfect. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. You laugh, you know, cause it's true. Yeah. Like yeah. you went as a, as a child, you know, I always think like, Oh, those people, um, on TV or the really successful people or, you know, like lawyers and doctors, the smart people in life, right? They're really mm -hmm. taking care of themselves, right? They're getting lots of rest, you know, and they're not like, you know, drinking and they're, you know, they're just really taking care of themselves and that's how they perform so well. And that's never true. <laughs> yeah, It's people yeah. figure that out later. Yeah. You know, it's funny, yeah. like that's, that you're striking on an interesting like tension there in life. And that is that life is never idealistic. Right. But yeah. that doesn't mean we shouldn't strive towards idealism. And I right. think that that's something I'm really passionate about too, is that look like we, there's a spectrum from idealism to cynicism Correct. and we fall somewhere yeah. on that spectrum. And I think it's way better to fall on the, the side of idealism Optimistic. than cynicism. Because, Optimism, you know? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And and we have to believe in change and progress and that it's possible if it's ever going to happen. You know, you first have to believe in that. Now, obviously, you have to marry that with discipline daily, which means you connect back to the reality of life, the realism that mm -hmm. makes any idealism attainable over a long period of time. Um, but... But again, I'd much rather err on that side. There's actually an interesting theory or a, a scientific study recently that, that um, was done forming this thing called the broaden and build theory, which is basically saying that positive emotions both broaden your, they call it the thought action repertoire, which is basically your skill set or tool set for handling whatever life throws at you. And then it also builds your personal capacity for future life situations. Mm. And, and the point of it is like saying like, look, having positive outlook, perceptions and emotions about what you're facing, it not only helps you better face them, but it better equips you to face them even better in the future. And it has a compounding effect just like the negative side does. They both spiral either up or down. And so... It's just it's really a fascinating study because it's showing scientifically what we already experience and know kind of personally. Right. 
just the, you know, the positivity and optimism is healthier than cynicism and pessimism. Yeah, totally. Well said. No, for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know what? And I, I definitely sort of like, I, I always thought of myself as an optimist. Mm. And, and then I've had people on my show call me out, which is awesome. <laughs> and say, yeah. wow, that's a really cynic, cynic uh, you know, there's a lot of cynicism in, in what you just said. And I'm like, is there? Oh, yeah, you're right. And, you know, you find that I think it's, it's more so in my generation. I'm a little bit older than you. So I'm like a Gen X guy. But I think Gen X has got like this. They don't even know they're doing it. Even like the positive Gen Xers, right, have this underlying cynicism that they, they're like kind of unconscious of. At least I was anyway. Yeah. Well, you know, it's fascinating. <laughs> I, think that, I think there's something more to that, too. It's just something I've been talking a lot about uh, is generational roles. And I think that that's a natural part of life. And, and you, would, uh, you would probably know better than me in that you've lived longer, right? So you experience it more. But just as life goes on, it never meets our idealistic expectations. It oh, always lets us talking. down. And right. so it's going to constantly increase our cynicism the older we get, the more we yeah. experience how hard, how challenging, how unfair life is, right? Right. And so we lose increasingly our our idealism over time because that's how life works. And so yeah. I think that that is the younger generation's role is to err on idealism to help support um, the society at large because the older you get, the more you're going to err on cynicism. Most it's just where, yeah, it's almost like as you go, you start losing the battle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. And both sides are needed. I mean, at the yeah. end of the day, like yeah. you just can't live in a, in a fairy tale. It's like right. life is going to be hard and there's real problems and real sucky realities yeah. that you can't ignore. Right. Um, but it's how you, how you side. deal with it, you know, yeah. is, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I learned like what, another thing that you said that I liked on your, um, on your web, on your blog, on your webpage was, um, let me make sure I got this, uh, passionate about taking action daily, mm. right? Where you're reminding yourself constantly the things that you believe, you have some sort of daily practice to do that, that helps you sort of like keep the wolves at bay, so to speak, right? Mm -hmm. Of that, of those negative thoughts and the pessimism and the cynicism. I think it does for me. Yeah. So, okay. So uh, let's see here. Now, where are we on the timeline? So, okay. You're a pro golfer for about three years. You're injured. You kind of have to go through some, <laughs> yeah. who am I, who am I going to be? So now I guess we're almost pretty close to present day. When did this, when did the, when did your, uh, golf career end? So it came to a close in December of 2017, this last December. Wow. Um, okay. Real yeah. recent. <laughs> so real recent. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's less than a year ago. So last fall, after about five cycles of the injury, I played in a qualifier uh, for the European tour, didn't make it past the first stage, and the body was still very questionable. Right. I still didn't know for sure if I had been fully past the injury or not. So I took a couple months to really pray about it, to consider, to, to seek counsel, to talk with my team, my investors, and to take some time to myself to really evaluate, okay, like who... Who do I believe God, who has God created and called and equipped me to be like in life? Is it a professional golfer or is it something else? Right. And over that time, it became clear it was, it was time for something else. And 
So that was kind of what led to the decision. And then the last year had been really building into what's next. And um, it's, you know, the the word of my year of the year for me is build. And um, good. And it, you know, it's one of those things like it sounds great. It's super exciting. You know, when you start the year, I'm going to build. Right. And then you get like four or five months in, you're like, yeah, this has been good. All right. Like, what's next? And you're like, oh, yeah, it's a year long word. And building <laughs> is a long process. Yeah, it you is. You know, it's, it is. it's not nothing is built overnight. And it usually is years that take into yes. building something. And so it was kind of humbling to get to that kind of, you know, three, four, five months in and be like, man, this is, um, yeah, building is long and hard. It takes and that's where the focus has kind of been on patience and persistence. Mm, I love it. Wow. So, okay. So that brings us to now what you've got going on now. So you're, you've moved to LA and you're there as your permanent base. Mm -hmm. Um, Talk a little bit about uh, what sort of things you're doing for folks and your approaches, you know? Yeah. It's been really interesting to see where it's all come to. It's very, um, I've found that I'm I'm spread too thin and I've taken on too much, but that's um, that's kind of that. how we learn, right? <laughs> yes, yeah, so are, right. yes, indeed. Um, but yeah, so right now I've got three main kind of buckets. Uh, one of them is my personal brand, Thane Marcus, which you mentioned beforehand. That's where I do my blog writing and my coaching um, and collaborating with individuals. And then uh, I also wrote the book that's coming out uh, this month. So that's been where a lot of my energy has been going into. And then the the other book again, the name of the book is From Here to There, A Quarter Life Perspective on the Path to Mastery. Okay, I'll link to that in the show notes. So yes, uh, yeah, cool. All right. And then, um, and then I have a, a side business. It's a it's a coffee company that I started. Oh, wow. Okay. So it's a, yeah, it's a portable espresso bar for events and weddings, and it's a wow. it's been super fun the last uh, building that the last three to four months, and uh, so that's been picking up some steam. Um, <laughs> and well <done>. so yeah, <laughs> it's it's. It's, it's kind of a daily balance between the personal brand, the book, and this coffee company is kind of my three main things. I chose to go the self-publishing route with the book, which means I assumed all of the responsibilities to execute on it. Right. And, that's and you got to do all huge. the marketing, and that's yes. why you're on a podcast. Yeah, I get yes. it. <laughs> it's, been a huge, it's been a huge push, and I've learned a ton from it. But um, yeah, and then, you know, the kind of leveraging that into more speaking opportunities moving forward as well has been a big focus. So it's, it's been an interesting stage of life. It takes a lot of work. I've felt spread too thin and like I can't, I'm not capable, but finding ways to be capable and finding ways to keep each ball pushing and moving forward has been a really a fun journey and a fun dance. Lovely. So let's, uh, let's do a couple of these teases that I did. Uh, in the beginning. So you knew this, uh, you liked this Bible passage on your website for him, uh, for from him and through him and to him are all things. And I think it was a Romans. You'll know better. Romans 1136. There you go. So talk about it and how that translates into how you approach your life and your business. Yes, indeed. Well, I love roadmaps. I love roadmaps and I love equations and systems. And so, and I also love it in a succinct, memorable way. And so this was a verse that really just hit me this last year, a couple years actually, and become kind of a rallying cry for me because 
as a Christian, I do believe that everything is from God. He's the one who created everything. He's the one who sustains all things. And so um, not only is it from him, but it's through him. He's continually providing um, the sustenance for us to live on, for us to operate on, for us to, I mean, every breath, the air is from him. And then to him, the glory from all things are ascribed to him. He is a point of why we are created. And so it's a verse that really is my foundation and my why, and it says gotcha. it in a really succinct way. And so um, that became kind of the cornerstone that I wanted to build this future work off of um, because it's very short, very easy, but very comprehensive. Right. Um, it's very and, circular. Too. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I like that. That's good. And so that's where kind of the logo mark came from. And I knew that I kind of wanted the connect and the collaborate to be a part of it. Um, and so just how it all came together was really of him as well. I mean, it just... I, I love that verse, and then I came up with this connect, collaborate, inspire as a right. part of what I'm doing, and it just it really fit well on top of each other. And then that logo mark that my my uh, designer came up with was a great um, piece to just represent that visually, to where you yeah, got like uh, three w- circles, right? Yeah, the circles that goes uh, connect, collaborate, inspire for from, through, and to, mm-hmm. and it kind of goes together. And and um, yeah, so so you know, a big part of what I'm doing is connecting with people, seeing how we can level up by different resources and different people in different spaces, but then collaborating and and working together to have them level up and to evaluate how they can improve and then ultimately to inspire to that there has to be an outward effect, an outward change. There's a quote by Michael Gerber from the E-Myth Revisited that I've been loving. It's that continuous improvement for its own sake is a waste of time. And the point of that is to say like, if you're all you're doing is trying to optimize and create better efficiencies and and improve your own work for no other reason than itself, it's it's pointless. And there needs right. to serve a function outside of yourself, <laughs> serve other people. Yeah. And so that's where the inspire comes in is is how can this work that we're doing lead to the greater good of others and ultimately the world? And that's kind of um, the focus of it. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of my favorite lessons out of the Air Force was. Um, can't remember. It was like a boss was like yelling at me for, uh, getting down a little bit too much into the weeds of trying to get, make a thing better. Mm. And, and he's like, you know, if what you're doing is, you know, not worth doing, it doesn't matter how efficient it is. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Right. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> And I was Humbling. like, so do you want me to stop doing this then? He's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's epic. So good. I was um, like, cool, because it was sucking anyway. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So before we, we wrap up, uh, I just wanted to hit you with one of my favorites, um, Bible passages. And now yes. this is Old Testament. So um take it for what it is, you know, uh, but the 23rd Psalm was one of my favorites. Um, so, but you know, like, you know, everybody knows this, you know, even like non-Christians know at least some of the 23rd Psalm. Yeah. Cause it's, it's one of the biggies, but you know, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's as far as I I usually get Mm. because then I get lost in this, like, it's almost like this feeling of relief. Yes. of being free from want. <laughs> yes, it's so true. Right? It is. Yeah, and that is, to me, like just an ultimate expression of faith, right? Mm. If you have faith, 
you can relax. <laughs> yes. You can just, you know, and, and have faith that whatever you try to do, you know, you don't have to be graspy and desperate, yes. you know, if, does that make sense? No, totally. Yeah. It reminds me of a couple other passages too. Romans eight twenty eight, right? That's another one that most people, uh, think I'm not for familiar all things, with that one. Oh, okay. Yeah. For, for all things work together, uh, for, for good, for those who love him. And it's saying like, it'll, it, all things are, are, are for our good and God's glory. Um, so all things, we know that they are working together for good and for his glory. Um, and then the other is that it's, it's not about us, it's about him and it's a work he's accomplished on the cross in Christ. So we, we can't do anything to change that or it's already been done. It's been accomplished. So we don't have to worry about it. And then, you know, that means that's good. Like, I shall not want, you know, like it's like it's already been accomplished, so we don't have to worry about it. Um, but really? the other thing is the uh, David's such a the Psalm, the 23 is a Psalm of David. I've been reading through the Old Testament at night and um, I'm in Second Samuel talking about the story of David. And it's fascinating. I mean, this guy, it's crazy the life he lived. Right. And when you read these Psalms in light of his life, it, they just come to light even more because he was promised the throne, right? He came in and got anointed by Samuel to be king. And and after being anointed, well, then he became really close to Saul, who was a king. And then he started having all the success. And then Saul got jealous and was like, I'm going to try and kill this guy because he's going to take my throne. Everyone's praising him. So he started trying to kill David. And so David was like, what the heck, right? Yeah. And um, then he goes into hiding and he's getting chased by Saul. Like every year, Saul is trying to hunt him down to kill him. Um, and there was like two or three times where he could have killed Saul himself, but he wasn't going to lay his hand on the Lord's anointed because he trusted in God, not wow. in his own okay. power. Wow. And so it was I just like this that. amazing life and story. And, and I just put myself in his shoes and be like, man, this guy... He made a lot of mistakes. He failed miserably. I mean, everyone knows the story of him and Bathsheba and basically killing a man for his wife and and all these things that he didn't do well. Right. Um, but he was, he he was a, human. Yes. That's the point is we are all human and our confidence isn't in ourselves, it's in the Lord. And God blesses that. Mm. Um, and it, even though he was promised the king, it didn't, he wasn't. He ended up, you know, running away from Saul and being in captivity and being in these immense trials and struggles for years before he ever was given the throne. Mm. And so it's just, I think, a good, he's just a great picture of a man um, who's striving to be faithful, but that means it's going to be, it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy life. There's going to be a lot mm. of hardship, trials, and persecution and struggles, but that's what increases our faith. It's God's taking us to the gym and he's making our faith stronger. <laughs> the faith <by> gym. <laughs> one more rep, one more rep, you know? So That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. You should, you should write books that, that, that basically are inspired by those, um, Bible stories. That'd be cool. Uh, and then, and then just sort of like bring them into modern day. I think, I think the way you just related that is a lot more relatable if you actually read it. Yeah. <laughs> I like that idea. I'll have to think on that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, or, or just do a podcast because podcasts are way easier. I don't know about you. I'd rather talk than write. Totally. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little more fluid. It, it's a little easier. The writing kind of writing your head to me feels like, I'm, I mean, if you're a writer, right. But I mean, I would rather talk. Any totally. <laughs> yeah. Totally. All right. Hey, this thing, this has been a blast. Yes. 
I appreciate it. Um, so talk a little bit about, uh, again, you've got thanemarcus.com. You've got the book coming out. So talk a little bit more about the book. Yeah, the book has been really fun. It, it, originally, the the motivation for it, I was on the plane flying to Thailand for the Asian Tour Qualifier January of 2017. I knew I wasn't going to be able to compete because of my injury had flared up. And uh. I was just thinking, man, how can I repay my investors and sponsors for the gift that they've given me in this pursuit, mm. in this journey? And that's where the book idea came from originally. So I jotted down a handful of titles and just kind of brainstormed on it for a couple hours. Um, fast forward six months and the injury repeated again. And that's when I decided to start writing the book. And um, it's been an 18-month process. And I'm so excited to finally share what started as a book about how golf teaches you about life. It really turned into more of a book about how to pursue excellence or mastery in any field illustrated by my journey as a professional golfer. Um, so... I'm really excited about it. I think it can be really helpful for people. It is, like I say, a quarter life perspective. So it's looking back on my 25 year old's perspective on that path. So mm. take it as it is. But I do think even in that perspective, it can be really helpful for people. No, it's cool. I like it. It's a great idea. Uh, and talk a little bit about uh, where people can find out more about your coffee business, if if that's yeah, possible. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's I love it. Yeah, collaboration coffee. Okay. Uh, we are a portable espresso bar for weddings and events here in LA, and um, you can find it under. Uh, it's actually housed under my website, Thane Market. So ThaneMarkets.com/slash/coffee. Okay, gotcha. Oh, perfect. And yeah, it's uh, it's been uh, been a lot of fun, and excited to keep serving up some great quality. Java. To Joe. <laughs> yes, Joe. <laughs> Cup of Joe. Love it. So Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been a blast, and I appreciate you being here. Yeah, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on, and it's been a pleasure talking with you, brother. All right. Have a good one. Bye. Thanks for taking the time to ride along with us on another episode of Vroom Vroom Veer. For podcast info and show notes, be sure to head over to vvveer.com. That's triple V-double-E-R.com. Man, that's fun to say. And we'll catch up with you next time here on Vroom Vroom Veer. Vroom Vroom Veer.